to Novel Finds, the podcast where we talk about your favorite books, our favorite books, and everything in between. Hey, it's me, Maggie. And me, Julia. And we are coming at you with a little episode all together. Pretty exciting. I just get excited every time, even though from here on out for the rest of the season, pretty much all our episodes are together. I know. I know. <laughs> but like we had we have so many awesome author chats. But we it's did. just so nice when we're talking to each other. I know. I love like it. I love I love the authors, but I love talking to you more. Julia, that's a really big honor. Thank you so much. Uh, you're welcome. I I would say likewise. Oh, thanks. You don't <laughs> have to just cuz we're recording. I mean, I would say it, but I can't. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yes. Uh we are super excited to talk about today's book with you guys. I'm genuinely so jazzed to talk about it. I finished this book today, so I'm coming off on like a an absolute I adrenaline know. rush. Uh, <laughs> it's already. so good. It's so good. I finished it yesterday, yesterday morning. I'm so excited. Today, we are talking all about The Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Bowie, and I, I'm just so excited. I'm going to stop saying it now because I don't want this entire episode to just be me saying I'm so excited to talk about this book because then later on when I'm editing, I have to cut out the amount of times that I say I'm so excited because it just gets to be too no, much. No, you don't have to cut it out. We just will start drinking games for every time we repeat the same phrase in every episode that we do together. Oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> like um, I had the near witch last time. That's true. You've got Firekeeper's Daughter this time. (laughs) I just absolutely enjoyed this book so very much. Before we really, really get into the book, we just wanted to talk to you guys about a cute little thing called our Patreon. Oh, hey. Oh, hey. So if you guys are looking for more bookish content from me and Julia, you can subscribe to our Patreon. In our Patreon, we post content pretty much every week. It has... Q&A episodes, what we call mini-sodes, which are just like short episodes where we talk about what we're reading outside of the podcast. Um, There's some book unboxings from the past. There's some summaries of unfortunate events. I'm going through that. Maggie is touring through bookstores around her area. We've got tons of cool bookish content. Exactly. You definitely want to subscribe. And if you're in certain tiers, you even get fun and exclusive Novel Finds merch. With four different tiers, tiers to choose from, uh, there are so many options for more content from us, the Novel Finds ladies. And if uh, you are looking for more information about our Patreon, please follow the link in our bio. This is our bio on Instagram and our bio from whatever streaming platform you are listening to this on. And just so you guys know, today's episode is sponsored by Audible. Maggie, do you know what I love more than books? What? Free books. Oh, I thought you were going to say Laura Olympus. Oh my God, I do love Laura Olympus. Did you see that last reel? I painted myself pink for that. Um, (laughs) Anyway, if you sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible Premium using the link audibletrial.com backslash novel finds, you get a free audiobook. Wait, I sign up at audibletrial.com slash novel finds and just automatically get a free book? Yeah, you get a credit for whatever audiobook you want. The world is your oyster. 
this feels like when Belle saw the Beast Library for the first time. Right? So sign up for a free audiobook at audibletrial.com slash novelfinds for your free audiobook today. And uh, back to our regular scheduled content. Um, Would you like to hear a little summary? Obviously. I love your summaries of, of everything. Thank you so much. Just so you guys know, from here on out, I am going to attempt to do two summaries. One is going to be very well thought out, short and sweet, so I don't give any spoilers and you just get a hint of what the book is going to be. And then the next one is me basically giving you a bullet point list of a few of the things that happen in the book, just so you can sort of keep up with what's going on when we talk about certain parts of the book later on in the episode. There will probably be a few spoilers, so if you are uninterested in hearing those, uh, just skip ahead when we hit that second summary. And Julia, if you uh, notice anything that I miss, please let me know. Okay. Okay. Here is the first summary for Firekeeper's Daughter. 18-year-old Downis Fontaine has never quite fit in, both in her hometown and on the nearby Ojibwe reservation. She dreams of a fresh start at college, but when family tragedy strikes, Downis puts her future on hold to look after her fragile mother. The only bright spot is meeting Jamie, the charming new recruit on her brother Levi's hockey team. Yet even as Downis falls for Jamie, she senses the dashing hockey stars hiding something. Everything comes to light when she witnesses a shocking murder, thrusting her into an FBI investigation of a lethal new drug. Reluctantly, she agrees to go undercover, drawing on her knowledge of chemistry and Ojibwe traditional medicine to track down the source. But the search for truth is more complicated than she imagined, exposing secrets and old scars. At the same time, she grows concerned with an investigation that seems more focused on punishing the offenders than protecting its victims. Now, as the deceptions and deaths keep growing, Downis must learn what it means to be a strong Ojibwe woman and how far she'll go for her community, even if it tears apart the only world she's ever known. Um, And now for my super fun, casual, spoiler-ish summary of Firekeeper's Daughter. So basically, we meet Downis, and she is settling for a life um, living at home. She uh, rejects her admission into the University of Michigan and agrees to go to the community college after the death of her uncle. She wants to be able to take care of her mother, who is a little bit fragile and emotional, and also be there for her grandmother, who is currently living in a care home. Does she reject it or does she defer it? I think she defers it for a year, yeah. right? That was I, the I impression so. I got. Yeah. Her best friend is this girl named Lily, and both of them are Ojibwe women, but also feel rejected by the reservation because they are not 100% a part mm-hmm. of the community. Um, because Downis, the protagonist, is Ojibwe on her father's side, but white on her mother's side. Mm-hmm. And then basically what happens is they go to a powwow and Downis witnesses the murder of her best friend, Lily. And she was shot by Travis, who is her ex-boyfriend and also a known Um, user of meth. Yeah, Yeah. he uses meth. And Downis witnesses this happening and she gets thrust into an FBI investigation. Backtrack, she was... She basically met this guy named Jamie, 
who was new to the reservation. And she's like, what? This guy's so handsome. Um, What is his deal? She begins to trust him. She tells him about Travis's use of meth and then witnesses this murder and then finds out that Jamie is a part of the FBI. Mm. And he is undercover to try to find out what is going on on the reservation. And this is also when she finds out that her uncle David, who had died um, previously, before the book even started, mm-hmm. was originally also undercover, a part of this investigation. Can I butt in for a second? Yes. When we found out that Jamie and his quote-unquote uncle, who moved into town, are a part of the FBI, I immediately thought of 21 Jump Street because Jamie is a 22-year-old but posing as an 18-year-old high school senior. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and so that vibe permeated the rest of the book for me. That is hilarious. Whenever he had anything in the high school. I genuinely, I thought of that um, that meme, that Kardashian meme. This is a case for the FBI. <laughs> That's what I thought of. When it was <laughs> okay, um, so we need 21 Jump Streets and that meme <laughs> posted <laughs> with the episode recap, I think. <laughs> Done. Done. It, it will happen. It will be. Um, so, okay, Downer we're back. Sort of gets thrust into this investigation, but she can't tell anybody that she's researching these things and she can't even really get help from the people that she's researching it for. So, she's kind of on her own trying to figure out what's going on. As she is doing her research, she starts to suspect a lot of the people who are close in her life while also starting to get real feelings for Jamie, who is playing her fake boyfriend in this undercover scenario. Fake dating trope. Fake dating trope, baby. (laughs) Um, Basically, what happens is two more young women die. Two more young women die. And both of them are in possession of this new meth. And um, Downis is able to use both her knowledge as a chemist and her knowledge um, with Ojibwe medicine to sort of realize that they're making this new version of meth that combines both cultures. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really incredibly dangerous. From my understanding, it's like meth and mushrooms had a baby. And it's really, really bad for you. (laughs) Um, and Downis is like slowly uncovering what is going on and then she gets kidnapped and Mm. I know uh, she gets kidnapped and Jamie also gets kidnapped and she realizes she had realized just before she got kidnapped that it was her spoiler alert half brother the whole time well, she's not kidnapped by her half-brother. She's kidnapped no. by the, the mom of her half-brother. And that's when, like, there was one point when I was just so upset because there's, like, so many adult backstabbings or betrayals yeah. in this book that I was like, no one is safe. I was – I very briefly was like, is her mother involved? But then I was like, no, she can't be. She's too fragile. This book deals so much with trying to get ahead in this community and in a community that is not doing so well unless you have been blessed with certain circumstances. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of people believe that getting involved 
with this meth business will give them a lot of money to be successful. And so when they find out that Downus is sort of working, not against them, but honestly to save her community from downfall Mm -hmm. because she doesn't want everybody to fall victim to this, then a lot of adults that she trusted uh, also go against her. And she saves the day. The women of her tribe come through for her, which was an amazing. Oh my movie. god! Oh my god! I loved that on the it was, ferry. It was just so good. It was so good. So she um, agrees to work for them because they basically want to get her to make the meth because she's really good at chemistry, mm-hmm. and she agrees to it. And she's driving away, and she makes eyes with someone in her in the tribe elders, in the elder yeah. community. She like basically makes help me eyes and they realize what's going on and they all come through for her and save her. Oh, I can't wait to talk a little bit more about that because that was just such a cool moment. It was such a, the ending was absolutely amazing. It was so well paced. It was so exciting. I also love the way it was written because I often find that when things in the plot are moving really, really fast, especially with action sequences, mm-hmm. it often gets really, really muddled and I always feel a bit confused as to where certain people are and what exactly is happening Mm -hmm. with the movement. Yeah. But I felt like it was so clear. I could keep up with everything. And it was so very exciting. It's so good. So that is my messy, (laughs) my messy summary. I love it. To give you a deeper insight into what happened. Um, Julia. Yes. Do you have any fun facts for us? I do. I have three actual fun facts and then one fourth just fun fact in a trivia game if we were ever on like a trivia or something. Um, So these are all about Angeline. She Mm -hmm. was the director for the Office of Indian Education at the U.S. Department of Education. Um, And she was she held that position before she wrote Firekeeper's Daughter. Or like she would, she was writing that while also holding that position. Very cool. I know. She lives in Southern Michigan, but is from Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, which is where the book takes place in Sault Ste. Marie. And she's also a member of the Sault Ste. Marie tribe of Chippewa Indians um, and is part of the Bear Clan from Sugar Island. So there are like some parallels to her involvement in her tribal community and Donis, who is also part of the bear clan on sugar Island, but she is a different, I believe the tribe is fictional in this book, in this book. Yes. I believe it is fictional. I'm not entirely sure. I can't speak to that for sure. Yeah. No, I I'm pretty sure in the acknowledgements, she said that it was, but she took a lot of her cultural understandings and applied it to that tribe amazing yeah Yeah. and then the fourth personal fun fact um well i didn't know that this book took place in sault saint marie to be honest (laughs) and so then when i was reading the book when she's like oh we're in the sioux uh and the sioux locks are here and sault saint marie is the i i think it is the northernmost point of Michigan that can connect you to Canada. So, like, I think there are, yeah. are more northern points in Michigan, but I think this is the one that is, like, the easiest to get to Canada from. Yeah. So, anyway, that being said, 
Um, I've been to Sault Ste. Marie and I've been there because I dated someone in college that's from Sault Ste. Marie. (laughs) So, so I've been there a couple of times. And so reading about it, I was like, oh, I like vaguely know what you're talking about right now. Um, they live in Grand Rapids now, but they, they're from the Sioux, which is fun. I don't know for sure if I've been to Sault Ste. Marie. Mm-hmm. But I think I have because when I went camping once, I it was like winter camping and I became too cold and very, very grumpy. Um, so, camping in the winter. Thank you. And But we were also like not prepared. So there was like no mattress. I didn't mm-hmm. bring my winter jacket. I was like, what? Why? Why? So I quit and <laughs> I yep. went to this town. And I think it was Sault Ste. Marie because there were a lot of signs that said Canada this way. Oh, probably and, then. <laughs> well, I, I I can't say for sure. Please don't quote me on it. But I believe <laughs> that I have been to Sault Ste. Marie because I thought to myself, I know it's not pronounced Salt Ste. Marie, but I mm-hmm. don't remember what it is pronounced because it mm-hmm. looks like Salt Ste. Marie. It does. And there's like bonus fun fact, the town right across the bridge or I'm pretty sure it's Bridge, from yeah. Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, is called Sault Ste. Marie, Canada. And I've been there, too. I've been to Sault Ste. Marie, Canada. I think that's such a good move. I, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's fun. So those are my fun facts. I love them. I love them Thanks. so much. Um, so, Julia, mm-hmm. starting to really dig into this book, I am mm-hmm. curious to know, um, how did you come across this book? I'm pretty sure, honestly, I, I'm pretty sure I saw this book in a bookstore um, when I was looking for a, a different one. And the cover is just so gorgeous that mm-hmm. I was like, all right, well, I need to purchase this because I judge books by their cover. And, <laughs> and so I had it on my shelf. And then as we were planning this season, I was kind of looking at, okay, what can we do differently from season one? November is actually Native American Heritage Month. And so then I was like, okay, great. So what books kind of go into that that are are fun that we can read? And then Firekeeper's Daughter was in a list. And I was like, oh, hey. I've been wanting to read this book. And so then it was just a lot of me seeing it on my TBR pile and being like, I know I'm going to read you in November. So so we're going to hold off. Um, But I'm so glad. This is such a good book. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I Mm -hmm. remember it came sort of into my vision because it was – so Reese Witherspoon has her book club. And then she also has a Mm -hmm. young adult version of her book club. And it was the young adult book club pick maybe in February or sometime last year. And I thought the cover was absolutely gorgeous. And I was so intrigued to read it because I don't read a lot of books that are written by Native American authors. And um, I was really, really excited to be able to pick this one up. I haven't read a book by a Native American author since I was in my undergrad program at university. And I I just loved this. Speaking to that, though, like there aren't a ton of contemporary YA books that are that follow um like the Native American story, you know? 
um, Angeline Bowie in her acknowledgments even said like she wanted to write something yeah. that was there for for um, that audience. And I think it's wonderful. Like it's it's so good. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I think even speaking more to that, I know a lot of times, even if there are multiple books written by Native American authors, they aren't something that are easily accessible. Um, Mm -hmm. just because they might not have like a a wide print or a heavy publication or anything. And this is one that made it onto the New York Times bestselling list. It's something that is really, really accessible for so many different types of readers. And Mm -hmm. I think that it's a brilliant book because it gives so much honor and respect for um, the Ojibwe culture or the Native American culture in also, and of course, it's not a book's job to ever, ever, ever do this, but I also had the opportunity to learn a lot about mm-hmm. a, a group of people that I don't know a lot about, um, which was amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was it was so cool. The way that she wrote it, I mean, it was somewhat exposition heavy at points, more in the beginning than later in the book, mm-hmm. but the exposition never felt like it was too much. And it was always like either teaching a bit more about the culture to like Jamie, who doesn't know his native heritage. He knows that he's part of it. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't have that identity. He he was adopted. He doesn't know. And so then Donis takes these opportunities to like talk about what she does throughout the day and like how she honors her community and her her um her heritage and all of this cool stuff. And so it was really great. Like it was honestly an incredibly well-rounded book. Absolutely. And I think sort of skipping ahead, I guess so much of, so many of the themes in this book have to do with honoring your culture and your heritage. And Downus talks a lot about how easy it is to lose your heritage, which is something she talks about with Jamie. And it really, really affects their relationship because Mm -hmm. she wants him to know where he came from because she feels like knowing both sides of her is a reflection of who she is. She wants to be her mother's daughter and her father's daughter. And being a part of her tribe is really, really important to her. And understanding that culture is really important to her. And I think there are so many different themes of I guess, honoring where you came from and Mm -hmm. family. Your identity and your heritage and, and yeah, community. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's wonderful. Really Mm -hmm. beautiful. Um, So what genre would you say this book is? Well, it's definitely YA. One, because it is in Reese Witherspoon's YA book club. Um, and I I believe it is considered a YA, a young adult thriller um, mm-hmm. because it is it is kind of a mystery. It is a thriller. It moves. It's pretty action packed and whatnot. Um, and there were many thrilling points in it. So that's that's there what I would were. say the genre. Is. Would you agree? Absolutely. I it's definitely a thriller, but in the best way. Um, Because I think sometimes in adult thrillers, and this is a 
very hefty simplification of the genre. But I think sometimes they don't spend a lot of time on character and character development because the important thing is the ride that you're about to go on with all of the twists and the turns. And I think this mm-hmm. really, really emphasized a lot of coming of age themes um, as Down is. Oh, yeah continues to figure out who she is and the decisions she wants to make for her future. And it's so much about the relationships that we make. And it's also a heavy plot driven thriller. Well, that and like, it makes the thriller better when you understand characters and what their motivation might be. Yes. I was talking about this with Julia, you guys. I started this book and... (laughs) Because you read the back and you're like, an FBI investigation. Well, 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 what's going to happen here? And then I started it. I was like, this book is so slow. This is taking forever to get started. And I wasn't so sure. I was, I was, I, I also might not have been in the right mindset. I've been having a lot of trouble picking up books in general in my, in my life. I've been like really reading like 20 pages and then just dropping the book. And um, when I hit page, truly this page, 112, I could not put the book down. I I was carrying it as I was walking around the house. I could not stop reading this book. I was telling I was telling this to Julia before we started recording. I think all of the time spent on the character building and the exposition in those first 100 pages made the story so much better. Everything was absolutely filled with depth mm-hmm. because if you don't get to know Lily as much as you do, her death just doesn't affect you as much. And I think taking the time to give us 100 pages with her was absolutely necessary for the story because oh, no. if she, if it started and she just, hey, this is my best friend. Oh, now she's dead. I would still read it. It's not that I wouldn't read it, but there was so much of an emotional pull, even as the reader, to, to really well, that- stay on this journey with her. Yeah, that and we already had a character that died before the story even starts, uh, Mm -hmm. Uncle David. And so we can't have multiple characters that die so early that we don't care. Like in in waiting 100 pages for Lily to get murdered, we understand Donis is still grieving her uncle and Mm -hmm. her grandmother is sick and possibly dying soon. And her mother whose brother was the one that that died um her mother and and donis are both grieving both mm-hmm. grandma and brother and it's just a lot so we understand that it's a lot and then she adds lily onto it which makes it even more devastating and then she adds two other girls as the book keeps going and like you get to know them a little bit but it not as well as Lily because Lily was best friends. But it's just, it's crazy. It's, oh. I don't think it would have made sense to us as readers for Downis to accept a position undercover with the FBI unless we fully understood her best friend relationship with Lily. Mm-hmm. Because she's 18, about to go undercover. That's really, really scary. <laughs> and it's really, really intense. Mm-hmm. And I think she's not even eighteen. She's seventeen at that point. Oh yeah. So in order for us to really get why she makes that decision, we have to understand how much she relies on Lily, who is her best friend um, on the reservation and the person 
in that community that she feels closest with, which is a Mm -hmm. huge deal for her. I loved Lily. Lily's introduction is so great because she just she drives a Jeep like a hooligan and doesn't know how to parallel park without hitting (laughs) the cars in front and behind her. I loved that. And I'm just like, I love that. What is what is the line? It's like Lily's version of parallel parking is slowly hitting the cars in front and behind her until she's in the spot. It's just hilarious. And then there's one point where where uh, Donis is showing Jamie around to like a powwow and Lily's Jeep is parked way out there. And he's like, you know, she has their closer spots. She knows that. Right. And and Donis is just like, oh, yeah, she has a very special way of parking. So she's out there. <laughs> She'll be fine. <laughs> Lily's excellent. Her death was tragic. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, her death was tragic. Um, Okay, so Maggie, what did you like about this book? Well, I loved everything, but to put it in more simple terms, I... (laughs) I loved the style of writing. I, I felt like we were able to like take a magnifying glass into all of these people's lives and get a really up close and personal view to so many different characters, especially because Downus is such an empathetic character and she cares so deeply about everyone around her. I felt like as the reader, we knew and were able to learn about so many side characters, which really mm-hmm. impacted then um, the big twist at the end of the book. I yeah. really, I loved the thriller aspects of this book, especially because I feel like a lot of times with mysteries or thrillers, it can be sort of insulting where they hide the truth so much that you are totally shocked at the end, which I don't think you should be totally mm-hmm. shocked. There should be hints as to what's going on throughout the entire book. And I felt like the twists and the turns that Angeline Bowie took were very natural and also allowed me to suspect what was going on but also be surprised at the end. Yeah. And I really, really liked that. There were definitely some twists that I was not expecting, but then there Mm -hmm. were ones that I was like, oh man, like I would just, I would groan outwardly. Like, honestly, I should have recorded just me sitting and reading this book silently because I had so many outbursts. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) It, it was so many. Like there was even one point where I was like sitting on my bed and a twist happened and I literally like hit the mattress. I was just like, oh my God. And just like, it was, it was a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. Can you guys hear those fireworks? I can't hear oh, anything. That's fine. I guess my microphone is really working. It's, it's a uh, Guy Fox night and there are oh, lots what? of fireworks happening right now. I forgot that that was a thing. I know. I I did too. Yeah, bonfire night. Yeah. Um it's it's a party happening outside my window. Nice. You going to join after this? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm going <laughs> to heat up some pizza and get in my pajamas. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. All right. I think what I really liked about this book was i mean the the exciting part of it that definitely kept me in at first was that it takes place in a place that i've been before and mm-hmm. also michigan 
But then I I kept going. Like I came for the Michigan and then stayed for all of the different cultural teachings that were in it. And Mm -hmm. it was just, it was a a very, I don't think I had the, the issue reading it the way that like you had a hard time at first. I think I started yeah. it and was like, ooh, I like this. Because like you said, the writing style is really good. It, yeah, absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite line or section that you want to share? I do. I have two short little lines. I think they're both relatively funny. I don't entirely <laughs> remember. Um, but <laughs> one of them is Donis and it's an action she does because her last ex is now um, an officer on the police force. And so she doesn't have any respect for the police force at this point. And um, so she's thinking about this officer and in it, in just the exposition, exposition it says he dumped me without explanation one month later stopped calling wouldn't look at me in the ap classes we had together i flipped the bird in a smooth pan motion as officer kirudin passes by so much for staying under the radar (laughs) and this is like when they're at the powwow and she's standing next to jamie this new kid who doesn't know her and she has no idea he's a secret FBI agent and suddenly there's this tribal cop car passing by and she just like flips the bird and keeps it going as he <laughs> passes by <laughs> and I'm just like this is excellent she's an icon she is and it just continues like she holds this grudge against him for the rest of the book until the very end and I'm just like, you know what? That is incredibly realistic, to be honest. Like, if if I Absolutely. was dating someone, we were going strong for a month, and then suddenly, instead of, like, telling me why they break up with me and then stop looking at me and just cut off everything completely, I would absolutely be flipping the bird to them every single time. Like, no I question. I would be upset as a woman in her 20s. As a teenager, I think she's handling it very well. Honestly, yes. Uh, His tires would have had like a screwdriver in them at one point. (laughs) (laughs) I believe that. I would, you guys, I would never mess with Julia. (laughs) (laughs) It's not because I have brightly colored hair that shows that I'm a hazard. (laughs) You're like a warning label. (laughs) No, if Maggie ever told me that she was having an issue with someone, like someone was bullying her. I would 100% be the goon that like slashes their tires and then tells them to fuck off. Sorry. (laughs) It's okay. I'm so sorry. You know, when you see those like videos or memes on the internet where there's like the girly flower princess friend and then the goth friend, Mm -hmm. we're like a less extreme version of that. Yeah, I would, I would, I would say so. I was thinking of like the cinnamon roll reel. Like, looks like a cinnamon roll is a cinnamon roll. And I was just like, I don't know where I would put myself, but definitely it's the the kill you. Whatever it's, <laughs> if I look like a cinnamon roll, but could kill you or looks like they could kill you and could kill you. Um, I, think I think one of those is probably where I land. What is so interesting, though, is that I think if I was just passing you in the street, I'd be like, she looks so nice. But if you were giving anybody the death glare, I'd be like, oh, she could, <laughs> she could heck you up. Yep. 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 
just because I'm very passionate about people mm-hmm. being treated the way that they should be treated. Which is good. Yeah. Anyway, my second thing is very funny. Um, it's when the fake dating has started and Donis and Jamie are going to Marquette together. And Donis tells her aunt and her aunt says, be smart, Quay. Lust doesn't last, but herpes is forever. Rip. <laughs> and I'm just like, I would be that aunt. I would 100% be Aunt Teddy. <laughs> like, have a good time, but also keep in mind you could get herpes and die. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't die, but you would be uncomfortable. No, for the but rest you of would have life. herpes forever. And like, it's no joke. Wrap it. It's not like STDs are, are not fun. I can imagine not. I can yeah. say, quite honestly, I've never had one. So thank God. That is fair if we're getting personal. <laughs> I, I have had one. But it's gone away. It's cleared up. It's cleared up. It is, you know how karma is a thing in college. Oh, man. Uh, This poor college boyfriend. In college, we all freshmen had to take a human sexuality. Like, we all had to go to this program. And the professor running it was basically like, one in three students will contract an STD which stands for sexually transmitted disease, just in case you didn't know. And I was sitting with two of my other friends and we looked at each other and we (laughs) collectively chose not me. (laughs) And and then I was the one that ended up contracting a sexually transmitted disease. Oh, no. But it, I mean, I didn't know until I went to go to my annual appointment at the, the gynecologist and it was devastating. I thought I was going to die. And then it was just like, oh, you just have to take a pill and don't have sex for two weeks and make sure you use a condom. And I was like, okay. And then I was fine. Amazing. Well, yeah. um, two points. One, I'm really glad it's all cleared up. Oh, yeah, me and too. And two, is this the boyfriend who took you to Sault Ste. Marie? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So that is a themed story. (laughs) We are on theme here. (laughs) Anyone that knows who I dated in college is going to be like, oh, my God. Like, I'm going to get a text. I'll be like, "Uh, yes. I can't confirm. (laughs) I'm, like, feeling flushed for you. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I feel like it's more common than you think. And there's like a weird taboo around not talking about mental health, STDs, and all of this stuff. Like, I'm fine talking about it. It's kind of weird talking about it to people that I don't know. But I know you. It's just people on the podcast being like, well, it's it's well, it's I mean, not. Yeah, it's not like I was sleeping around. I had a committed boyfriend. He just happened to have picked up an STD from a previous partner. And he didn't know. I didn't know. We were unsafe at one point, And then suddenly we both had to be taking this pill. Only one. Well, and it was fine. That's super easy. Yeah. And I mean, you said it yourself. It was one in three. That's a mm-hmm. lot of people. It's a lot of people. It is a lot of people. I ended up taking like the actual class from that professor and learned a lot of things about human sexuality. Nice. Yeah. I feel like that is something that would benefit everybody. I agree. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> this is like the fifth fun fact of uh, six. I don't know. 
We're just going to continue having weird fun facts pop up. I hope so. (laughs) Do you have a favorite section or line you want to share? I have um, two sections that I have bookmarked to share. And one of them is continuing on. um, I've talked a lot about the themes of community and Mm -hmm. really valuing and respecting your community. And this section has to do with that because I think it really just hit the nail right on the head with everything that Angeline Bowie is trying to say um, with that theme. It's fairly long, though, so bear with me. Okay. It's an interaction between Downis and Jamie, and it is a slight spoiler alert. So if you want to skip ahead, do so now. Hold on. When you say we, you don't mean you and me. You mean the FBI. I say, mouthing the initials while pretending to rub my nose so no one can read my lips. Jamie, don't you remember what my aunt told us about making some workers stay late to fix the owl t-shirts? They learned about the problem and had ownership in the solution. We have to fix it. The community, not the FBI. His jaw clenches as if I've said something unpleasant. Well, you guys haven't fixed it yet, Jamie points out. Don't you see how warped it is to think we can't get it done without the... I don't bother with the initials this time. Honestly, no, he says, even more quietly than anything he's said to this point. I don't know this person. Person, sorry. I don't know this person, and he sure as hell doesn't know me either, or my community. Jamie Johnson doesn't see us. You swoop in, want to save us, and then leave, I say. You won't be here for the fallout. You aren't thinking about the community at all. Don't you get that? Jamie's face is devoid of any emotion. The sting in my nose infuriates me. Maybe I need a shield to protect myself from Jamie. Glancing around to see that no one is paying attention to us, I advance. Maybe you'd understand if you actually had a community. He takes a step back, blinks his tawny eyes. I've drawn blood. It was a deeper cut than I intended. Intended. Jamie, James Brian Johnson, or whoever he truly is, walks away. Instead of feeling victorious, I'm hollow inside. I just really love that. And I also think it deals so much with this idea of, I think a lot of times people from more quote-unquote well-to-do communities will see a community that they think isn't doing very well swoop in and like do something they think will save it but they've actually like caused more damage than they realized because I mean the FBI can come in arrest a few people and then Mm -hmm. leave but they aren't actually fixing the problem and I think it's a really interesting point to make because Downis can see that her community can deal with it They just don't have the means to, but she wants them to be the ones to figure it out and fix the problem from the inside. Mm -hmm. Just thought it was a really interesting point to make. And then the second thing that I am quoting is actually from the um, acknowledgments (gasps) section. Yes, I love that. (laughs) Um, Because it it was really, really, really sweet. And it actually made me feel a little bit um, emotional. Especially because a lot of times in the acknowledgement, she calls um, this book her Ojibwe Nancy Drew, which I really, really loved. Uh-huh. Um, so it's this is just the very, very um, last last paragraph about why she chose to write this book. There's an important distinction between writing about trauma and writing a tragedy. I sought to write about identity, loss, and injustice, and also of love, joy, connection, friendship, hope, laughter, and the beauty and strength in my Ojibwe community. It was paramount to share and celebrate what justice and healing looks like in a tribal community. Cultural events, 
language revitalization ceremonies, traditional teachings, whisper networks, blanket parties, and numerous other ways tribes have shown resilience in the face of adversity. Growing up, none of the books I'd read featured a a Native protagonist. With Downis, I wanted to give Native teens a hero who looks like them, whose greatest strength is her Ojibwe culture and community. When making decisions for our tribe, we look seven generations ahead, considering the effect on our descendants. My hope is that, in sharing our experiences, Firekeeper's Daughter will have that impact on future generations. And that's my last section I wanted to share. I love that. I know. The acknowledgments just, yeah. were just so good. And I I love reading the acknowledgments. It's really nice. And I feel like it teaches you so much about the book that you don't even realize. Like, it gives you such a deeper understanding as to why it was written and the themes mm-hmm. that they were really working on on um, talking about in the book. Yeah. And I, yeah. I loved it. I mean, it also shows a different kind of community because it, it takes a community to get a book uh, to publish a book. Absolutely. Yeah. And so it's always nice to see the acknowledgements of the entire community. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maggie. Yes. This has the potential to get quite deep. Donis has a moment in the book when she asks herself a lot of rhetorical questions that are related to grieving both like uncle David and Lily and, and her loved ones that have died. Seeing as though neither of us live near our relatives, if you knew it was the last time you were going to see someone, would you say something profound? Would you say something or share how much they meant to you? What would you say? That's really, really tough. Um, I would say in general, I've been really, really lucky because I'm I'm 28 years old and I've not really had anybody who was very close to me pass away. So I've not ever experienced grief the way that downness certainly has. And I also am the type of person who struggles to always say with my words exactly how much someone means to me. Um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes I can, and sometimes I just feel so uncomfortable that I hope they understand that I reach out to them at all, or the fact I like, Mm -hmm. I show my love in very, very different ways. And I think especially because I live 3,000 miles away from so much of my family, if I Mm -hmm. spent every single day worried that it would be the last time I spoke to them, I would be too anxious. I think for me, it is the most important to me to know that my close friends and my family know that I love and care for them and to not ever end a conversation where that would be in question. Mm -hmm. Um. But otherwise, I'm not too concerned with the last thing I say to them being something incredibly thoughtful or profound. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I think, I mean, I agree with you in that aspect. If I spent all my time worrying about the people in my life, not knowing that I loved them, I would be worried all the time. But (laughs) I, I do have a tendency Like it started in recent years. Like if I'm talking on the phone with someone, um, I'll tell them that I love them before they leave. Just because like, even if it was a good conversation, if in the happenstance that they do not hear from me again, I want them to know that I love them. And so like, that's, that's my anxiety now is like that I, I get to tell people that I love them. Like I have to tell them that I love them 
at the end of each conversation. Yeah. I think that makes sense. So I think it's easier to do on the phone. Like I'll always have oh, a yeah. phone call saying like, okay, I love you. Um, and every so often I know I've texted you this, like an awkward text, like, Hey, just so you know, I love you. Okay. Bye. <laughs> no, but I do that to you too. Yeah. Like I'll randomly be like, I just want you to know that I really appreciate you and everything yeah. that you do. And I love you. And I'm so glad that you're in my life. And like, yep. it'll be like just really happens. cheesy. Yeah. I know. <laughs> but it's lovely. Um, it's lovely to get a message like that. Absolutely. And it, I mean, it usually happens when we've, we've both been so busy, we can't talk to each other. Yeah. <laughs> and we're both feeling like mildly needy. And we're just like, hi, I just, I want to remind you that I'm here and I love you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's it. And we just leave it. <laughs> yep. But I think it's nice. I think I would also say, and I would speak for the both of us that we both have the personalities where if you are in our group of people, like we are in both incredibly loyal and incredibly loving to the people who are in our mm -hmm. circle of people. So oh, I would be shocked if like one of my close friends or family doesn't know that I love them, I guess. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I also think anyone that is in my close circle, generally, I don't talk to all of them. I talk to maybe like three people on a daily basis and then my like close circle makes it to be like seven or eight people I don't talk to seven or eight people every single day I don't talk to my close friends every every single day I mean I talk to yeah. you every day <laughs> and like two other people hey. <laughs> <laughs> um but like anyone else like they do know they're aware and that's just my personality and the reason that they've remained close friends is because they understand that's my personality yeah. Well, it can be really hard to keep in touch with people all of the time. We just it don't is. have time to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And communication is a two-way street. If you really wanted to talk to me, I would probably respond. Okay. So we're going to take a turn. Let's take a turn. All right, Julia. So Jamie and Downis are sort of the main romantic storyline. You know, they have a, a bit of a fake dating <laughs> romance trope in this very dramatic thriller. Yes. Uh, where would you say their relationship lands on the spice meter? Mm. Okay. So I think, so it is a YA book and mm -hmm. it does treat the romance like YA books generally do. Um, so it's kind of like if they're doing anything sexual, it's a closed door thing. Or in this case, it's like a closed blanket. Nothing is... Um, nothing is actively like pointed out like you don't see his sword or anything you don't he doesn't oh, sheath it <laughs> I know I hate that I hate that so much I hate that you said that <laughs> you're welcome it's worse than the word moist just saying like he's sheathed his sword and ugh, gag anyway um so we don't see that kind of stuff, but we they do hold hands, they do kiss, there's some steamy kisses in there. So I would say that this is like something that was flavored with maybe a little too much cinnamon, but it still tastes good. I think for a YA book, it's steamy, especially because mm -hmm. they're so candid about the fact that they are about to have sex. Well, that and, and they're candid about Donis is not a virgin like they've yeah. talked about how she had sex with the officer with her ex b 
before Jamie. So like they're very open about sexuality in this book. Yeah. Um, so if I was a teenager reading this and you had the like glimpses of intimacy before the chapter ended, mm-hmm. that would be very steamy to me as like a 15 year old, that would have been peak uh, steaminess, but right. I, I mean, not anymore. Um, so I, I, will, I will give it like a sprinkling of chili flakes just because Ooh. for the audience that it's meant for, it is steamy. Mm-hmm. So I agree. That, that's I like that. My, I like that. That's my answer. So Julia. Yes. Taking a little turn again. <laughs> there Ooh, are a lot that. of, uh, there's a lot of twists and turns in this Nancy Drew-esque mm-hmm. mystery book. So what was one that surprised you or did you find were you did you find that you were surprised many times throughout this book i i was surprised many times i think the one that surprised me the most wasn't when she got kidnapped i mean i was surprised by that but the the mm-hmm. biggest betrayal was this is a spoiler um coach bobby that that Absolutely. one got me that one was just like, oh man, great. She's got Coach Bobby. She jumped like after the ferry, after the elders get her away from Levi on the ferry, after Levi jumps off and is like running away. Uh, Coach Bobby is at the ferry. She jumps into his car and is like, follow Levi. And he's like, okay. And she's like, I got to call someone. Can I use your phone? And And like, he doesn't let her use his phone. And she reaches for it and he holds it away. And I'm just like, Oh my god! Oh, my, that I think that was the moment that I hit my bed. I, I was like, yeah, yelling. Oh my god! And I was so upset. I was so upset because, like, Coach Bobby yeah. was her hockey coach for four years. He he was such a positive influence in her life, and suddenly she learns that he is like one of the people in the community that is dealing meth to yep children oh my god i have goosebumps right now i'm just like oh yeah. that was that was my least favorite turn uh, no actually that no. one grant edwards was my least favorite turn but coach bobby was the most surprising yeah. one i would agree i think coach bobby and the fact that they were hiding meth in the hockey pucks was really surprising for me i felt like that was so clever and such a good turn mm-hmm. of events especially because I had a feeling Levi was suspicious the entire time. Um, I did his too. Character, yeah. His character was so unhinged and all over the place the entire book. I, and I just didn't trust him to begin with. As, and I, I just had a feeling that there was something going on with him. So I think the other things that happened with the surprise were so good, mm-hmm. especially when Levi's mom, um, oh my God. Dana. drugs and kidnaps. Yeah. Uh, Downis and the line she says right before Downis like sort of goes under is like um, basically saying that she killed her uncle like mm-hmm. now I have to do this with you too I, yeah. I can't remember the okay. exact line it's, oh it's much better than that but super villain moment also super like, villain moment I, where where did she because I think Donis figured out that Dana roofied her with she she used Rohypnol mm-hmm. And she mentions that the teacup, because she makes tea for both of them, the teacup tastes like dish, dishwashing soap. And so it made me wonder if that's what, um, like, when 
it happened because i mean there's a lot of movement in that scene and so it yeah, makes me is. wonder if like she gives the tea pours it in and then it's like oh milk and sugar and turns around and grabs milk and sugar and that's when the roofie was put into her tea i don't know i'm sure i mean that that must have been the moment when that i mean happened. that's what makes sense to me but then she also mentioned you know dana always smells like chanel number five and so maybe there's something where like it was an olfactory sense but then you have to wonder you know how did dana not get it so the tea has to be when it happened so yeah that was yeah. such a good twist Ugh. the ho- the hockey pucks was a really solid twist like i wasn't expecting that but then when she found them in her closet i was when she when there was a box of pucks in her closet i was like okay it's probably in the pucks then and then she found it I'm like yes that makes sense um mm-hmm. and then she figured out you know grant edwards is just a shitty dude <laughs> he's likely not involved with the meth he's just a terrible human being yeah he's absolutely creepy i would say you know trigger warning for this book um via sexual assault because he is he is not great um i do think the way that they handle it in the book is absolutely incredible and really really respectful to people who have dealt with that especially Mm -hmm. because and i think this a lot i think this in both books and i think this especially in television that we have just become it's sort of just like trauma porn like sexual assault has become a bit too graphic for me Mm -hmm. i people are so welcome to disagree with that i hate it it makes me cringe I think that you can say what has happened and you can even film what has happened without it being so grotesque that you feel uncomfortable. I just, what is the point of that? And I think in the book, they handled it so well where you know what is happening and the way that it was written, you just felt the heaviness in your heart Mm -hmm. without it being graphically stated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, yeah. And even it even goes into like Donis is is in shock about it. She doesn't actively mm-hmm. talk about it until um like basically after the investigation. Like it's brought up yeah. when she and Jamie are kidnapped and stuck in like a trailer and mm-hmm. all she says was he attacked me. And you're supposed to cut he she's expecting jamie to infer from there and then the next day when mike and levi come in and mike like throws it out there and she's just like this is not what happened um yeah it's it's a rough time but i think it it definitely for people that have experienced that it kind of follows the timeline of of acceptance and doing something about it you know yeah especially because her biggest fear in sharing it with people is that they will say, well, why did you mm-hmm. um, get your, why did you allow yourself to be alone in a room with him? Right. And then like, why did you, she says him? it yeah, to her brother and he says, well, why were you in a room alone with him? And it's like that. And she mm-hmm. says, it, why is that your first response? And it is. Like, yeah. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter at all. Like, no. So she was the point that it shouldn't have happened. <laughs> right. Right. Like, Levi, stop victim blaming. He's and just a that predator. was also another hint that Levi is the worst. <laughs> yeah, Levi is is it's so sad because he loves her so much. He does. Um, he loves her, but so much. he he really cares about his sister. And I think a lot of it you could sort of chalk up to being teenage boy foolishness. But also, he was really manipulative. 
Because the minute the police show up, she, he was like, oh, I was trying to get my sister to safety. And she was like, mm-hmm. no, you weren't. No, you weren't. <laughs> She's like, I'm no. about to implicate you and everyone else that kidnapped me in this Absolutely investigation. Not. Like, yeah. oh, my God. Yeah. And I, okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. I love that Stormy was trying to save Jamie. I, I think he was meant to be the red herring of the book because yeah. his his parents abuse drugs. Like he just doesn't have a stable lifestyle and he gets angry a lot. Like he was meant to be the red herring. He was supposed to be the one where you're like, okay, so Travis has has died and the one that kills Lily. He was a meth user, but the meth is still being distributed. Who is the next one? And people automatically look for like the most unstable character. Mm-hmm. But I think it's great that Stormy was the saving grace, mostly. Yeah. Because even even though like he was friends with Levi and he probably felt like he couldn't say anything, he did try to save Jamie because he understood what drugs do to people and he wanted to do something good and i just i love that stormy was that person yeah me too me too mm-hmm. um yeah for the I, I don't think we've explained it before but uh i guess levi who is the brother and mike and stormy were sort of like the trio of boys mm-hmm. at yeah. the high school that that down is new yeah well um moving to a slightly more uh, a lighter topic shall yeah. we say uh, Julia, do you yeah. have some exciting news to tell us as to whether or not Firekeeper's Daughter is going to be a movie? How did you know that I knew this information? <laughs> um, it is being adapted for TV um, on Netflix. Netflix is in charge of it. And the Barack and Michelle Obama, I guess they do, they have like a filming foundation or something. They are the ones yes. that are involved with it. And it is being adapted for television. I'm very excited. I'm so this excited. Is, this is going to be a good, good show. Like if Barack and Michelle absolutely. are involved with it, it is absolutely going to slap. Like it's going to be great. This is going to be like one heck of a mini series. I cannot wait. I can't mm-hmm. wait. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's going to be dope. I hope they film it in Sault Ste. Marie. But I'd be surprised. If it also didn't. takes place in 2004. We haven't even mentioned any of that. This book takes place in oh, 2004. Yeah. It was written in 2021, but the setting is 2004. And I have a theory as to why it's that that because um a lot of mysteries take place in older times because of technology. Like, yeah, they still Bones had cell everything. Phones. Yeah, they still had cell phones in 2004, but they were stuck with like the QWERTY keyboard or the one, I don't, what is it called when you have to like press the number so many times to get to a certain letter? I don't even remember. I didn't have to do that. I had a QWERTY keyboard. But the reason I think it's in 2004 is because technology was not as advanced and it made it more plausible that information wasn't immediately available. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love that every so often they were just like, and a reminder, we are in 2004. Yes. <laughs> Last year was 2003. This is 2004. Correct. Yes. <laughs> and, and she's like, like okay, yeah, we get someone it. was the class of 2001. And <laughs> I was just like, perfect. Yes. Thank you for the reminder. Thank you so much. 
Um, well, Julia, uh, last question before we get in our book recommendations. Oh my gosh. But are there any characters that you would like to meet from this book? Yes. I would like to meet Donis. She is so yeah. cool. Honestly, she's the she's the one I want to meet. I would like to meet Aunt Teddy and um Grandma June. His Grandma June yeah. is Lily's grandmother and she just seemed so funny. She's so funny. Mm-hmm. I loved all of the female characters in this. They were all so strong in their own way and so badass. It was absolutely amazing. I, I need to meet Aunt Teddy. She is a force. So cool. So cool. And just like all of the elders, the elder community. We didn't even talk about that. And the fairy. Um, Oh, yeah. Let's let's backtrack for a hot second. (laughs) Um, There's a youth tribal council. And they taught the tribal elder community center um, how to use cell phones. And once they learned how to use cell phones, they made a group chat for everyone that had a cell phone in the community center. And so then, like, when Donis does the help in the eyes to one of the elders, the, she she group chats with other elders on the boat and says, Black Levi in. And then they do. Oh, my God. It's like this wonderful so choreographed good. dance. And I'm just like... Oh, who says old people can't learn technology? Yeah, they learned it in this book. So yeah, so step up. Yeah, come on. Jeez. My grandma knows how to do Facebook Messenger videos. I taught her how to do that. Yeah. Good for her. But yeah, that's just, that's maybe like my favorite, favorite section. Just that entire section of the boat. He's blocked off and then she's learning how they all choreographed it because she had no idea that there were other elders yeah. on the ferry and suddenly like this whole thing is happening and she's saved and oh it's so good it was a gorgeous moment absolutely oh. brilliant especially because you had no idea that that was going to happen yeah uh oh my gosh i might Loved read it. this book again it's just so i'm good. gonna have to yeah i <laughs> enjoyed it that much that i will i will definitely be doing a reread yeah. Uh all right. So for those people that have read Firekeeper's Daughter and want something else, what book recommendations do you have? Well, let me tell you something. I'm going to be a little bit crazy. And the huh? first thing I'm going to recommend is not a book. It is a TV show. Okay. And I can't believe I'm about to do it, but I'm going to do it because this TV show sort of pressed the same buttons for me that Firekeeper's Daughter did. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is the TV show Mayor of Easttown. <gasps> it is on HBO. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. I love yeah. that show. It's so good. It stars Kate Winslet. And it kind of deals with the same uh, meth plot aspect. There's mm-hmm. a lot of drugs. There's, um, like struggles and trauma in the community and it's very very community-based based in this Mm -hmm. um small town in pennsylvania i think and there are so many twists and turns that are so good i remember every single episode had a twist at the very end and it drove me absolutely crazy i just had to keep watching it Mm -hmm. and i felt the same way reading this once i got into it i could not put this book down yeah and i felt the same watching the tv show oh 
Good, good recommendation. That vibe is like the same. Yes. The vibe is the exact same. <laughs> um, so that would be my first one. And then um, the other things that I want to recommend are actually books that I read. Um, I took a Native American literature class in my oh. undergrad. And these are some of the books that we read there that I really, really enjoyed. And I just think um, one for Native American Heritage Month. And also, if you are looking for more books from Native American authors, um, this would be where I would start because these are three books that I really enjoyed. And the first one is Pushing the Bear by Diane Glancy. Um, it's more of a historical fiction because it has to do with the Trail of Tears and how that trauma and imp can impact uh, generations and how what they experience then really seeps through um, to what's happening. What was talked about in this book too, you always think seven generations in the future. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's people living hundreds of years later and how what happened to their ancestors is affecting them now. Um, the other book is Ceremony by Leslie Marmon Silco. Um, it is a book that takes place in the past and in the modern day. And it has to do with um, PTSD and how being involved, uh, this young man is in um, a war, World War II or the Vietnam War. And he comes back home and he partakes in this um, tribal ceremony where he tries to refind his roots in his um, community. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last book I'm recommending, sorry, I have so no, that's fine. How many recommendations? Um, the last one I am recommending is probably a little bit basic. I think it's something that we all read in, I think I read it in middle school <laughs> and it's uh, the absolutely true diary of a part-time Indian. I and did not read it's, that. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. um, I think it must've been required reading because in my, in my middle school or high school, it's definitely more accessible for mm -hmm. young adults. It deals a lot with a lot of the same themes. It's a comedy. I remember it being very, very funny. And it's about a young boy coming to terms with his heritage because he's part white, part Native American. I, I don't remember the tribe. And it's it's a good book. Um, so those, those would be my recommendations. Nice. I love that. We should have had you go after me because I don't oh. have any Native American books. And now I Sorry. feel bad. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't feel bad. I think um, getting things that are the same themes or like the same yeah, genre. Yeah. The, the books that I've got are, are similar vibes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the first one I'm going to recommend, I've recommended it before, um, Akata Witch. It's A-K-A-T-A, -A, which it takes place, I believe, in Nigeria. And the main character is um, an albino Nigerian young lady. It is YA. And it is also about her culture. She learns that mm -hmm. she is part of um, this group called the Leopard People. And okay. the Leopard People, this one kind of has a bit more magic in it whereas firekeeper's daughter was a thriller this one is kind of like a low fantasy almost um because as she's learning about her culture and she's learning the magical abilities that she has uh she and like other people in her community are trying to like fight this evil that 
that oh, shows up every now and then. And it's it's a very, very good book. It also has similarly to Firekeeper's Daughter when um, they use like Native American words in this one. They use leopard people or Nigerian words and then will tell you what it means. Um, I believe, I don't know how to say it, but it's N-S-B-I-D-I. Um, that is mm-hmm. like a language that she's learning. And so it's really cool. So that book, it's a trilogy. It's it's excellent. It follows the same vibes. And then also um, Dark and Shallow Lies by Ginny Meyer oh. Sane. Okay. Yeah. You talked to Ginny about her other book um, that came out. But Dark and Shallow Lies takes place in a town in Louisiana. And Mm -hmm. again, similar vibes, very community driven. Um, There is a murder that happens. And so the main girl is trying to figure it out. Um, and she meets this stranger and they start working together and all of this stuff. So they're both considered YA. I would say Dark and Shallow Lies might be a more mature YA because the sex that happens in it is less closed door. And there's also a lot of like swearing that happens in it, um, Mm -hmm. which made me think like, wow, this might be like an actual young adult as in like a 20 year old sort of book. I would not hand this to a middle schooler and be like, enjoy. Um, But (laughs) I look, but I think you could do that with a cat, witch and be fine. Yeah. Um, But yeah, those are my two recommendations. No, those are great. Those are great. Thank you, Julia. Thank you. Thank you for yours. We have a lot of cool recommendations. Yeah. Um, you guys, you're welcome. <laughs> it's like we do this <laughs> every week. Ah. <laughs> um, well, Julia, any mm-hmm. final thoughts? Just that you should read it. Like expand your horizons if you don't generally read books um outside of like what you normally read, I guess, because yeah. it's good. It's it's nice to open your horizons. It's nice to read something, even if you may not be the intended audience. It's still very eye opening and and fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I can't recommend this book enough. I had a great time reading it, and uh, if you guys end up reading it, be sure to tag us because yeah. we want to know. We do. <laughs> and with that, we heckin' did it, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, share us with your other bookish friends and family. And if you're listening with Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and review the show. We're off to record our newest Q&A for our Patreon. If you're interested in joining our Novel Finds community on Patreon, follow the link in our bio. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Novel Finds Podcast. Thank you so much for being a novel friend. We'll see y'all next week. See you next week. Bye.